let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go back to the book of 1 Peter, all right? 1 Peter chapter number 2. And it's been a couple, uh, couple Sundays since we've been in this book together, so by way of remembrance, just keep in mind as we come back to the book of 1 Peter that Peter is writing for this main purpose of strengthening the brethren. Just as Jesus told him to do in Luke 22, 32, when Jesus said, when thou art converted, that word means when you return or when you come back, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so Peter is doing just that. As you read throughout First and Second Peter, he is trying to strengthen the brethren. But why would the brethren, why would the church, why would believers at this moment need strength and encouragement? Well, it's because during this moment in history when Peter writes, these precious believers were really going through the ringers, so to speak. They were facing great persecution. They were suffering great loss. Many of them, no doubt, were being uh, hauled off to prison, tortured, even put to death, all from the cruel hand of Nero. And so with that in mind, no doubt they needed strength. They needed a lot of strength. Well, these face these uncertain days during this time period in the first century. But the strength that they needed at this moment was not necessarily a physical strength or a financial strength or a political strength or a military type of strength. No strength that man could give. Though no doubt they would welcome any of those things, but that's not exactly what they needed Rather, the strength they needed at this moment was going to come from the Lord himself. It was going to be found from the word of God as Peter sits down and gives them great hope. A hope through the fiery trials they were facing. And as Peter says, was to try them. Hope through the pain they were going to endure. Listen, they just needed some hope for the next day. And this hope be reminded it's not some kind of wishful thinking. It's not, I'm going to cast a coin in the wishing well, cross my fingers, and man, I hope this works out. That is not the biblical hope that our great God in heaven gives us. Rather, the biblical hope that we believers have is a confident assurance based on the promises and person of God Himself. And that, my friends, is real hope. And so Peter wants to do just that. Give them that kind of hope. Give them that kind of strength. And I want to remind you, though the, though the first century believers needed this strength and hope then, I want to remind you today, we need it as well. We need hope. We need strength. But where is it going to be found? The same place. Listen, the same place these precious believers in the first century found it. From the Word of God. Your Bible is never outdated. It is relevant for every situation and season of life. And I just want to encourage you and remind you once again, you can trust your Bible. So get in it and let God give you great hope from His Word. And find great strength in the pages of the Word of God. So keep all that in mind as you read through, as we go through the book of First and Second Peter. All right, But as we come back to First Peter chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 11 through 17. And it would seem in this section of verses that Peter is still giving a lot of instruction on how believers are to behave. He is still helping in the area of what we would say 
our sanctification, all right? And so as we come to our text this morning, Peter gives us this. He gives us practical and personal steps of our behavior in this world. That's a long title, but uh, you'll see what I mean as we go throughout this uh, message together, all right? So practical and personal steps of our behavior in this world. Let's look at it together in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and starting in verse number 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in a day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Our fathers, we read your word and go to diving into it this morning. I pray to you to help us to put aside all distractions to help us just focus in on the word this morning. And Lord, give us great hope and great strength from the pages and from the words in which we read. I pray you speak to our hearts and help us to respond to you appropriately as you work in our lives. We love you. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, as I read this text this morning, I'm fully reminded of a great truth for every single believer, and that is this truth, all right? I'm reminded that as believers in this world, as saved people living on this earth, listen, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. As they would say, this world is not our home, we are just passing through. Because listen, our real home is heaven. John chapter 14. That's our real home. Please know that. But while we are here and live in this world here and now, as Peter says, we are this, verse 11, we are strangers and pilgrims. And uh, the word strangers here doesn't necessarily mean strange people, though I've met some Strange people over the years and even <laughs> strange Christians, man, I'm telling you. But anyway, that's not what it necessarily means here as strangers and pilgrims. No, the stranger here means a foreigner, means one who lives in a place without the right of citizenship. And we know that a stranger or a foreigner is different. He looks different, language is different, his likes are different, and as believers... As strangers, as foreigners here in this world, we too should be different. Why? Again, our citizenship is not of this world anymore. Uh, this world meaning the people and society that is without God. That's what the world represents. But that's not our citizenship. It's not of this world anymore. We don't truly belong here. Our citizenship is in heaven and we are simply strangers and pilgrims and that word pilgrim gives the idea of those who dwell by the side of the natives yet is on a journey home we're just passing through 
This is every single Christian. And Peter summed it up for every true believer that lives in this world when he calls us, verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. He summed it up. Because we don't belong here. Yet we live here for now. And while we do, what are we to do? How are we to live? How are we to behave? Well, I'm glad you asked because Brother Peter here, he gives us some encouraging principles to apply to our life and to live by. And the first one i like for us to see as he gives us practical principles and personal steps to live by with our behavior is this. Number one, Peter gives attention to our souls. Uh, again, look at verse number 11. Uh, dear, dear beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the, sto- the soul. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He is giving attention to our souls. Now, this word here, abstain, it means to hold oneself from. It means to refrain from. And this word would suggest a personal and deliberate choice on our behalf. But what is that uh, personal and deliberate choice of uh, abstaining or staying away from? What, is, what are we to stay away from? Well, he makes it known. Look at verse number 11 again when he says fleshly lusts. Now, lust here refer to our cravings, our strong desires. And for the record, this could be a good thing or a bad thing. And the context dictates whether it's good or bad. Such as, listen, did you know that God gives us the desire to eat? Anybody hungry yet? Okay, just, just give me a lot, at least another 25 minutes and you'll be able to go eat, all right? But that's a desire that's natural because, well, we got to eat. Anybody ever get thirsty every now and then? Did you know that's a natural desire that God has given to you? And it's good and well. But the, the word here that dictates that we understand this, this is wrong here, this desire here is wrong, is this word when it says this, fleshly. Now, as Peter says fleshly lusts, he is speaking of the sensual side of our fallen nature. And he is commanding us, he is telling us to abstain from giving into those sensual desires. And so as Peter is telling these individuals to abstain from that, that tells me that was a problem. That was a problem for the first century church and these believers. And guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. And we struggle with that from time to time as well in the 21st century as well. We struggle with that. Let me ask you a question. The day you got saved, was that a great day or not? Yes? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great day. And if I had to say, it was probably the best day of your life. Because the day you got saved, you got new life. You passed from darkness unto light. Your name was recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Your, the Heavenly Father became your Heavenly Abba Father, became your God and so much more. Jesus became your Savior, your Advocate, your King, your Intercessor, and so much more. The Holy Spirit became your Comforter, your Sealer, your Teacher, and again, so much more. The day that you got saved, you got new life, new nature, and so much more. It's a great day. The day you trusted Jesus as your Savior. But that does not mean that the old man, the old nature, on the day you got saved, was 
eradicated. No, the old nature, the, the, the flesh that's in a believer coexists with the new nature as well. And Peter here speaks about it. And he uses a very strong word for this struggle. And it's found in verse number, in verse number 11 again. And it says this, look at verse number 11. And when I stop, I want you to say the next word, okay? Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He uses this word war here. And this word gives the idea of making a military expedition, of leading soldiers into battle, of a military type campaign. And this campaign, by the way, is not a one and done. No, this war, this battle is a constant battle and we must be constantly on guard. And so the picture that Peter is painting here is that of the flesh carrying on a sustained military campaign against the believer's soul on a consistent basis because of the flesh which we have and the world in which we live. It's a consistent campaign against your soul. And just on a quick note here, Peter's not suggesting that we lose our salvation if you lose this battle, all right? That is not what he is suggesting at all because we know once a believer is saved, you cannot lose your salvation. The Bible says in John 10, 28 and 29, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Sounds pretty plain to me, does it not? Never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You can't lose it, friends. But as believers who struggle, and as believers who have this war constantly raging against our souls, understand that we can't lose our salvation. We can live lives that are defeated. And yes, even lives that can be disgraceful if... We do not abstain from fleshly lusts. I'm just saying all that this morning just to simply remind us all that we're in a battle every single day. There is a war raging. I'm not talking about overseas. I'm talking about right now in your seat. There is a war raging in our lives every single day. And I have no doubt that every genuine believer wants to be and do right. They, they want to be a spiritual individual who, who has a great desire to please the Lord. Do you agree with me that every genuine believer wants that? Yes? Absolutely. And why is it so hard? Why is it so hard from time to time? Why is there such a struggle? Why do we trip up from time to time and just fall flat on our faces? Why do we do the things we know we shouldn't do and don't do the things we know we should do. Why do we do this? Again, it's because of the conflict. Because of the war between the sinful nature we were born with and the Holy Spirit we were born by. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5, 17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another. So you cannot do the things you would. And then Paul goes on, goes on to give his testimony when he writes to the Roman believers in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, when he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, meaning he, he's his fleshly nature, meaning as an individual who would be giving into the desires of his sinful, fallen nature, that is carnality. He said this, I am carnal, sold under, under sin. 
For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Sounds like a struggle to me. And this is the Apostle Paul. He had the same struggles as you and I. The battle, the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. He faced it. But he goes on to say, If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil, the bad things, the worthless things, those depraved things, the evil which I would not, meaning the things I don't want to do, that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Again, he's pointing back to the sinful nature that we're all born with. But he says, I find then a law, a rule of truth, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Speaking of that constant daily battle. But he goes on to say that I, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, meaning my spirit leaps for joy. My spirit rejoices when the Lord speaks to my heart from the word of God. My, my spirit is refreshed when we have such sweet Christian fellowship and we come to church together. My, my spirit rejoices at the sound preaching of the word of God. When I enjoy worshipful music, just being in God's presence, that inward man rejoices in all of that. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. By the way, that's where the battle rages, in the mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He says this, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who is going to help me? Who is going to deliver me? How can I make it through this? And he gives the only answer he knows. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh, the law of sin. What I'm getting at this morning is simply this. We are in a battle every single day and there is a war against our souls. But let me ask you this question. How is the battle going? Are you living in victory? Are you living in constant defeat? As Peter points to the fact, gives us ten, try to get our attention to our souls. How is that war going? If you're living in constant defeat, could it be that you need to make some practical and personal steps, as Peter says, to abstain from certain fleshly lusts, that war against your soul, to make that deliberate decision, that deliberate choice to stay away from certain things? Certain programs, certain sites, certain places, and yes, even certain people. Abstain from it. Nobody can make you do it. But you can make the decision yourself. So what is it that you may need to abstain from? I don't need to make a laundry list of things and plaster it up on a screen of things to stay away from because you know if we did that as preachers put up a list of things to stay away from you'll mark everything down and you'll put a check beside those but then you'll go on and still do something else that you need to abstain from you know it and you'll say well I'm still doing what preacher told me to do no 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 look the one you need to listen to and obey is the Holy Spirit that lives in you and he'll tell you what to abstain from and if he is convicting you and showing you even now what you need to abstain from because you know there's a war going on against your soul. If you know what you need to abstain from, 
You need to make the deliberate decision and choice to do just that. Again, I always ask you to respond appropriately to what God is doing in your heart and what He's working in your life. You have to make that decision. You have to make that deliberate choice to respond to God. Because the Holy Spirit will shine His conviction upon our lives and in those areas of which we need to simply get rid of and simply obey Him in that moment. So what are the practical and personal steps that you need to take to abstain from fleshly lust that war against your soul. Peter, as he says here, as he begins to give us some personal and practical steps, he says this, verse 11, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. What else does he give attention to? Not only our souls, but number two, he gives attention to this. He gives attention to what others see. To what others see. Look at verse number 12 having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, that means see, all right, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, as we read this verse, I want you to take note of this word in verse 12, conversation. Now, uh, this word conversation is not necessarily speaking of how we talk or of how we speak, all right? Not just talking about conversating with people, though no doubt it is implied. But this word rather has to do with our way of living, our life, our behavior, how we live. That goes way beyond just how we talk. And so Peter is trying at this moment to get us, as well as these first century believers, to give attention of how we are living. Now, quick reminder. These believers at this moment were suffering greatly. (laughs) They were really going through great difficulty. They were facing the fire, and that is not figurative. For these folks, it's quite literal. Remember, Nero would impale these believers upon a pole and set them on fire just to keep his drunken parties lit at night. So when he says the fiery trial which is to try you, he's not necessarily being figurative. It's quite literal for these people. So this is what they were facing. This is what they were were going through. And because of this treatment that they were enduring and facing, many thought these believers deserved it. They thought they deserved what they were getting. Look at verse number 12 again. And go on down where it says in verse 12, Whereas... They speak against you as evil doers. People were thinking they deserve the treatment they were facing. They deserve the fire. They deserve the crucifixion. They deserve being fed to the hungry lions in the Colosseum. They were accused of horrendous crimes. They were accused of being immoral, accused of being enemies of the gods of the day. They were accused by all the unsaved and the other Gentile people of the Roman Empire as being evil doers. They were suffering immensely and being slandered at every turn. Now, what if that was you? (laughs) How would you respond? How would you respond to such treatment? How would your conversation be? How would your behavior be? You ever been lied to and lied about? Were you... Chipper and happy about it? (laughs) Anybody accuse you wrongfully? 
Does that make you just full of joy and gladness? <laughs> How would you behave and respond in this moment if this was you? Being spoken against as evil doers. Many of us, no doubt, would want to get even, lash back out. They ain't going to say that about me on Facebook. I'm going to tell them how it is, you know. Keyboard warrior, you know. What would you do? Well, here's what Peter tells us. Here's what God tells us from the Word of God. Peter says, honest. Look at it again. Verse number 12, having your conversation, your way of life, your living, your behavior, honest among the Gentiles. Now this word here, honest, is, uh, means more than just telling the truth. It carries the idea of something that is beautiful. Beautiful to behold. Again, looking at your life. Something that is excellent choice or precious. Something that is suitable or commendable or admirable. It's something that is good or honorable or noble. Again, all pointing back to how you're living your life, your conversation. Is it, is it honest? But what would it be if you're in this situation? What would your behavior be? What would be your, here's how we say it today, your testimony before these people who look at you and say, evildoer, no, 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 you deserve this. What would be your testimony before them as they look at you? Because listen, the only way, the only way for us to shut up the slandering mouth or to shut down the accusing finger is how we live our life. Again, look at verse 12. Honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak evil against you, they're saying all these things as evildoers. They may by your good works, which they shall behold. They're going to look at you. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Understand, there are a lot of things that was out of their control in this moment. In the first century, but the only thing they could control was their response to their circumstances. The only thing they could control was the response and how they chose to live in front of everyone, in front of these people. The only thing they could control was their testimony of how they would respond before the unsaved world that was looking at them. And his testimony, it should have been something that pointed people to Jesus. It should have been something that pointed to Almighty God and not away from the Lord. You know, there's a great example of this found in Scripture. several, actually. But I'm just going to read one of them quickly to you and uh, point out to what, what we're trying to, uh, paint a picture of what we're trying to say from, uh, from the pen of Peter here, okay? Uh, but David in Old Testament. We know there's a lot of things about David. He was uh, not a perfect man. We understand that. But yet he's still a man who was after God's own heart. And that was God's testimony about David himself. But we know he didn't mess up from time to time. But in early on, he suffered much from the hand of Saul. Because for nearly 15 years, he was on the run for his very life from King Saul. And over 12 different times, Saul tried to take his life. He would try to nail him to the wall with a javelin several times. 
He tried to even marry off his daughter to try to keep that as a snare to him. He, he, he tried to many times chase him down through the wilderness like a dog and, and hunt him down for sport and try to kill him. Even at one time, he took 3,000 choice soldiers, Saul, Saul did, to chase down David and surround him and finally take his life. But on each occasion, of course it didn't happen, but on each occasion, David did not retaliate. Even though two of those occasions, David himself could have took the very life out of Saul with his bare hands. But he refused. Because David wanted to live an honest conversation. Live a life that was admirable. Live a life that was, that was suitable. Live a life that was honest. Have a testimony that was godly. Here's what Saul said at the end of those 15 years. After he knew that David could have took his life, after he knew that David could have retaliated and respond wrongfully, here's what Saul said about David to David's face at the end of it all. 1 Samuel 24, 17 through 19, the Bible says, And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me. For as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killedst me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. David, listen, could not control Saul's response to him. He couldn't control how Saul would treat him, but David could control his own response back to Saul. And here's what he did. He showed him kindness and goodness to Saul. And that kindness and goodness pointed to the Lord. And even Saul admitted that very Fact, and by the way, this is what a testimony should do. Point to the Lord. And in this moment, with these first century believers and the things they were going through, yes, they were suffering wrongfully, even as evildoers, though they did nothing evil and nothing wrong, they suffered still. And Peter's looking at them and saying, look, look, we're pilgrims. We're just strangers here. This is not our home. For while we're here, we encourage you to do something. I know what you're going through. We encourage you to do this. Give a little attention to your soul. Because your flesh is going to war against it, but do this too. Give attention to what others see. Because they're going to behold, they're going to look very diligently at how you respond to the circumstances that are out of your control. It's going to want to do one of two things. It's going to point them to the Lord. Because again, look at the Bible says, and back in our text, 1 Peter 2 and verse number uh, 12. It says this, they may, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in a day of visitation. Now this here, day of visitation, could mean two, one of two things. It could mean where day of visitation when uh, they stand before the judge. That's Jesus Christ. Or as in when Jesus comes by and, and the Holy Spirit of conviction comes upon that individual and they have one or two options to turn to the Lord or, or reject Him. In that moment, they turn to the Lord. Why? Because they beheld, they saw the responses of God's people in these circumstances of life that pointed to the Lord that is real, that is good, and that is God. 
because they saw it in somebody else. Maybe this morning. I've got more points in this message. We're going to stop here. But maybe this morning, you need to give some attention to your soul. Give attention to what others see, as in your testimony. Give attention to that. We must guard these things. We must guard these things because, listen, whether we realize it or not or like it or not, others are watching, but what are they seeing? What are they seeing? What are you giving attention to? Are you giving attention to your soul? Is there some strong, constant battle always raging within? But with that, it's because of some things you're not abstaining from. And could there be some sinful and sensual things you need to make a deliberate decision on to stay away from? Because listen, the longer you, you linger in those things, you will always continually be at war and continually be defeated. Don't linger any longer. Abstain from them. What are you giving attention to? Maybe you need to give more attention to what people see. I understand we can't always control what people see. I mean as far as what they perceive rather. And control what they also do to us. But we can control how we respond to them. And, and with that very response, understand it could cause the individual to respond to the Lord or reject the Lord. People are always looking. For an excuse to reject the Lord. Always looking for an excuse not to go to church. But by God's grace, don't be their excuse. Amen, preacher. All right, thank you. (laughs) Don't be their excuse. We need to give attention. We need to guard, protect our testimony. Because the Bible still says in Proverbs 20, 22, 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. 